Okay, join me now on the uh, next episode of our uh, podcast here of uh, Life in the uh, Furnace Village, Eastern Furnace section of our hometown. I'm going to skip ahead on a few years on this one to the uh, late 1950s because it seems to uh, go from the previous uh, edition of our uh, uh, Times in World War II. Uh, this one is entitled Lee Joins the Army. <laughs> No sooner had I graduated, just barely passing, (laughs) Bridgewater State Teachers College, but I received the dreaded notice from my draft board. Seeing my patriotic duty in front of me, I immediately signed on to be an Air Force pilot. Don't ever ask how I saw myself at the controls of a jet plane, being just an average driver of an automobile at best. But away to Camp Edwards I went for testing. Somehow I passed the written exams, but failed the eye test. No problem. The captain there told me, just be a navigator. I said, okay, I'll give that a shot. As one who could get lost between here and Situate, I'm not a prime candidate for navigator of any sort, never mind a fast-moving jet plane. Lucky for me and the country... I was turned down again because of borderline eyesight. Now, confronted with a two-year gig in the Army, I responded to a story in the Enterprise about the need for people in a National Guard field artillery unit in Plymouth. Here I would do just six months active duty and a lifetime of reserve time. I signed right on and landed in Fort Dix to become a company clerk. Just off the farms and in good physical condition, the basic training was a breeze for me. I spent the whole six months in New Jersey, so much for seeing the countryside through the military service. Ever the entrepreneur, I used my old 1951 Buick convertible as a taxi, taking fellow recruits from Fort Dix to the Boston area for a fee to let me pay for the gas and give me a little spending money. Always pretty good at poker, I managed to run up additional spare change to assure myself of a good time. In one game, I held a full house against the other guy straight. He was out of cash and just had to call. So I asked him what he had to put up. He showed me a nice thirty-eight caliber pistol. Rules about weapons carrying were much more lax in those days. So I put up my $50 against it. Once home, with a sidearm, my my mum nearly had a fit. She commandeered the gun, but did let me trade it for a tooth-filling at uh, Dr. Walter Chisholm's place a few years later. I never took a touch of the devil's view until I was 26 years of age, so all my escapades took place while I was cold sober. Once in the reserves, I moved to Brooklyn, New York to do a stint on Wall Street as a specialist broker's clerk. I was assigned to a field artillery unit in Brooklyn out of the Flatbush section. The personnel were mostly African-American, a few of Italian descent, and myself the one New England Yankee. I was tasked as a supply clerk, a very boring MOS. That would be a military occupational specialty. I noticed on the bulletin board, seeking a company cook, company cook, drew me to volunteer and to swap a cushy clerk's job for one of 12-hour shifts pushing reluctant KPs into unwanted kitchen duty. My past experience at the Merrimax in Easton, a second cook at the casino, uh, Beach Restaurant in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire for three years, and a two-year stint at the Sylvia Suites Tea Room in Brockton gave me a leg up on the, uh, on the other applicants for the kitchen duty.
The mess sergeant was a fellow with a German accent who knew little or nothing about preparing food. I wound up in charge in the first week on duty. I set up a slush fund of 75 cents per soldier per two week every payday and using the money to buy herbs, spices, and other ingredients to make the GI food more palatable. I was a hero in no time with the troops. We did weekend overnight bivouacs, and I had a ball feeding the men. However, it did make for long 12- to 14-hour days for the kitchen crew. Summers, we went to Camp Drum in upstate New York. The major or colonel would come through the kitchen and invariably catch me without my steel pot that covers the helmet. They weighed several pounds, and I had trouble keeping around while prepping vegetables, etc. <laughs> Luckily, I was not put in the brig for the infractions. We made coffee in a 20-gallon steel pot over a big gas burner. The water was brought to a boil. The coffee dropped in <laughs> just plain coffee along with a half dozen eggs, supposedly to make the grounds drop to the bottom of the pot. And most of the soldiers could drink a quart black from their canteens. I never advanced beyond Buck Private, but in the past few years, I was allowed to be the commander of Post 7 American Legion here at Easton. This put me, more or less, in charge of many veterans who were real veterans, some with high officer rank when, in the, when they were in the service, and who had seen some horrendous action in battle. I always have had a soft spot for those who serve our country, and I've tried to make up for my pathetic military career. <laughs>